0: Hello friends, pro-life leader Frank Pavone here, director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our time of scripture reflection and prayer. Let's put ourselves in God's presence. Let's listen what his word has to say about our pro-life commitment. That's the theme we always focus on here as we come to understand the word better and better as the word of life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, you have instructed the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant that in that same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in His consolation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's share this Gospel passage from the Gospel of Luke. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and addressed them, If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there is enough for its completion. Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers should laugh at him and say, this one began to build but did not have the resources to finish. Or what king marching into battle would not first sit down and decide whether with 10,000 troops he can successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops. But if not, while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Brothers and sisters, this is about where our heart is. We love with our heart those who are closest to us in this life. Following Jesus Christ means He has our heart first. There's a Christian song for married couples, love song for number two. That's what the spouses are supposed to sing to one another. You are my number two. Jesus Christ is always my number one. And the beautiful thing about that is we cannot possibly love one another effectively, faithfully, and to the extent God means us to love one another if we don't put Him first. It's putting Him first that enables us to put everybody else where they belong in the the love that we have in our heart. Don't put God first and you're not going to be able to love your neighbor. That's where the, the connection between the first and the second commandment come in, not in the sense just of obligation, but in the sense of the power to fulfill them. It's not just, well, if you love God, you have to love your neighbor. The second is like it. You must love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. What it also means is unless you fulfill the first, you're going to find yourself failing in the second. Now, the Lord, says, My, you, uh, 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 the Lord says, your heart has to be mine first. It is only to Jesus Christ that we can ever promise absolute loyalty, absolute obedience, because human beings can betray us and can betray him. And we can't allow another human being, and this is what he's saying, we cannot allow another human being to draw us away from him. We have to be ready to, to sacrifice any other relationship. So the word hate here, it doesn't mean hate in the sense of hatred. I want what's bad for the person. What he means is renunciation in the sense of my heart has to be ready to lose everything and everyone before losing Christ. That's why he also mentions at the end here, possessions, the freedom of the heart, the independence of the heart, the purity of the heart, the single-minded devotion. It's what the first commandment says. You are to love the Lord your God, and Jesus Christ is our God, with your whole heart, all your mind, all your strength. So renounce all his possessions, that doesn't mean you actually have to give away all your possessions. It means that your heart has to be free of them. Remember when the Lord said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. The more things you have, the more attached to those things you're going to be. You have to exercise constant vigilance. Those of you who are blessed with an abundance of this world's goods have to work harder at this. Uh, And that's why Jesus says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with being rich. God bless you if you've worked hard to, to, uh, to earn all of that. It's truly yours. But you have to work extra hard not to let your heart become attached to that, especially at the expense of your relationship with God. The examples the Lord Jesus gives in this gospel passage are on one level just examples of the fact that the holy spirit does not exempt us from good planning you know some people fly on the seat of their pants you know if they're giving a talk or they're or they're doing a project oh holy spirit is going to guide me well yeah and one of the ways the holy spirit guides you is you use your head you use the knowledge the experience the reason the mind that god has given you and the and the experience of others around you you consult with them that's not in opposition to, or even intention with, or certainly not substituting for, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's precisely one of the ways that the Holy Spirit uses to guide you. Use the experience of others, consult with others, plan, think, use your head. And so in one sense, it's a natural lesson about that, that God expects us to calculate, you know, what, what, what am I about to do? What are the implications of what I am about to do? But what these examples are about, are you going to build a tower without knowing first if you can complete it? Or are you going to engage in a battle without knowing first that you can win it? Be smart. What the Lord is saying here is, if you decide to be a Christian, calculate ahead of time, make sure you understand in advance how much that's going to cost you. This passage is about the cost of discipleship, a phrase made popular by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a book by that title. He was a German theologian, and he wrote that book back in 1937. And here's how he defined cheap grace. Listen to this. This is uh, so common today. The preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Let me pause there. Jesus says, you're going to build a tower before you know whether you can complete it? Don't say you want to be my disciple. Don't put that cross around your neck just yet. Are you ready to turn away from your sins? Are you ready to repent? Are you ready in this pro-choice cesspool environment that we have where people are pushing abortion? Are you ready to reject that entirely and to recognize it's not a right, it's not a choice, it's not an option, it's not a constitutional right, it is not freedom. It is not health care. It is not women's rights. It is not equality. It is purely evil to destroy a baby. Are we ready to repent of that before we call ourselves Christians, unlike Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and others in public life who want to have it both ways? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm a faithful Catholic. But no, but I'm pro-choice. Can't do it. Cheap grace. So going back to Bonhoeffer's words, it's the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Oh, all are welcome, all are welcome. Yeah, of course all are welcome. You know what all are welcome to in the church? To repentance. All are welcome. We urgently want all to come. All, no matter what. But what we're calling them to is repentance. Are we not? Well, then why can't we say that? You know, I want to ask those that are constantly saying, everybody come, everybody come, everybody's welcome. Put that gay pride flag out in front of the church to let people know even the gays and the lesbians and the transgenders they're all welcome they're all welcome to what and when in the process if you're if you're not rejecting this if you're not rejecting the need for people to repent of sin if you're not rejecting the distinction between sin and virtue then tell me exactly when in the process of welcoming them do they hear the message repent when when just just tell I, i'm just asking And we should all ask this question. Those who want to emphasize so much, oh, everybody's welcome. Yeah, we understand. So walk me through it. Walk me beyond the welcome. When you welcome them, when in that trajectory do they hear the word repent? When, exactly? So the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism... Without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. In contrast, Jesus is talking in this gospel passage about expensive grace. Giving even your own life. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It couldn't be clearer. You know, there's cheap, cheap grace. is a cheapened form of Christianity, all too common today. And there's also cheap pro-life. Being pro-life in a cheap way, just like being... Because being pro-life is an aspect of being the disciple... So if there's such a thing as cheap discipleship, there's such a thing as cheap pro-life commitment. And 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 I, you know, as being involved in this movement since 1976, as I have been, and being a full-time pro-life leader since 1993, I've reflected a lot on this. And you know, what is the, the the demand of pro-life discipleship? We know we have a whole series of teachings on the fact that pro-life is indeed a spirituality. It's not simply a, a a topic or a cause or a movement. It's a spirituality. And cheap pro-life commitment means, oh, I just want the I just want the easy part of this. You know, it's not like we're going to challenge people about what abortion actually is. We're not going to use any of these harsh words. We're, we're, we're going to be, in fact, we're just going to be the, the, the people who smile and let's let's point out. You know, let's not point out what we're against. Let's point out what we're for. And of course, there's a certain validity to this, but some people take it to the point where it's almost becoming like a, an offer of, a, of an easier way to be pro-life and an easier way to do pro-life. It's like, I'm going to be above the fray. I just want to smile, show people the babies, the beauty of parenthood. People know the beauty of parenthood. Yes, there are those that need to be reminded of that. But when we show people who are on the path of abortion a beautiful born baby in the hands of a loving mother who has a big smile on her face, they don't doubt the beauty or the nature of that born child. That's precisely what they're trying to avoid. It's not that they don't know what it is. They're trying to avoid it. What we've got to point out to them is what abortion does to that baby. Don't show them the born child. Show them the unborn child. Don't show them the living child. Show them the dead child. Because that's what they're being tempted to choose. Show them the dead child. Oh, well, you're going to upset them. Exactly. Because it is upsetting. You've got to calculate the cost. You want to know how to calculate the cost? for being pro-life, remember this, this adage that I always say. If you're going to defend the unborn, you're going to be treated like them. They are defined out of existence. You'll be defined out of existence. You'll be shunned. You'll be dismissed. You'll be excluded. You'll be marginalized. You'll be sidelined. You'll be thrown out, perhaps, of your job. You'll be excluded from those... Uh, circles. Now, even within the pro-life movement, those who are embracing cheap pro-life, just like within the Christian community, those who are embracing cheap discipleship, cheap grace, they're not going to want you in their company, even if it's a explicitly Christian, religious, or pro-life gathering. They're not going to want you with them if you're too much of a troublemaker, if you're too much of a controversial person. Because then, then again, it, just, it, it, it disturbs their whole way of of operating they're trying to say we want to be above the fray no now it used to be uh, some people who would go into the pregnancy center movement would say oh well this is going to be great because this is going to be able we're going to be able to do pro-life but in a positive way because we're just there to serve the moms and we're going to be compassionate to them we're going to lead them along during their pregnancy and the pregnancy centers are saving a lot of lives and doing great work there on the front lines of the pro-life movement. But do you think they're above the fray? you think you can go in there and avoid fighting the pro-abortion side? Because if people think that way, and some people do, and I think there's less of that today than there was in the past because they've come to learn through bitter experience, the other side, the pro-abortion side, wants to destroy the work of the pro-life movement. And so they want to destroy the work of the pregnancy center. So they introduce bills and laws that, that try to, to uh, close the centers, tag them as fake clinics, practicing medicine without a license, deceptive. They have negative com- campaigns in, pu- in the realm of public opinion. They have negative legal efforts. There have even been laws in various states. Now, these were successfully challenged by the pro-life movement at the level of the Supreme Court. And we won a victory on this just a handful of years ago. But laws that try to get the pregnancy centers, believe it or not, to refer people to where they could get an abortion. It's like, oh, we don't provide abortions here, but, oh, if you go down the street and around the corner, you'll find a, a, a place where you can, you can go kill your baby. Pregnancy center can't do that. It, first of all, it's against our conscience. It's against the very purpose of the center, which is to stop abortions, not to refer people for them. And constitutionally, you can't force a person to say something that they don't want to say. That's, the, that's, the, 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 that's part of free speech. Just like the, the freedom to say what you do want to say is also the freedom not to say what you don't want to say. And that's why this case won, is called Nifla versus Becerra, won at the level of the Supreme Court back in 2018. But the point I'm making is grace is never cheap. Because, And, and the grace of being pro-life is never cheap. You can work in the pregnancy centers, but you know what? You're going to be part of the fray. You're still going to be a target. Don't think that the enemy makes any distinction among us on the pro-life side of the the aisle. They don't make any distinction. We're pro-life. We're their enemy. They want to destroy our work. It doesn't matter how nice you want to dress it up. Oh, but this is just service to the women. Yeah, they want to stop it. Because to the extent that you succeed in that service to women... Guess what? You've taken business away from the abortion industry, and therefore you've become their enemy. Now the same thing, I was recently with some of the most prominent pro-life researchers. We have one of the the many gifts in the pro-life movement, we have to pay more attention to it, is research. Those who do research on, for example, the impact that abortion has on on that mom, on the dad, on our whole society, on the family, and so forth. So pro-life researchers do research. And you might figure, you might think, uh, well, yeah, a person doing research, well, they're kind of above the fray, right? They're not involved in the, you know, political advocacy one way or the other, or legal battles, or, you know, they're not facing the hostility of the side. After all, all they're doing is, you know, opening up books and writing articles and researching online. Oh, don't fool yourself. They are very much in the fray. We had a discussion recently with some of these top pro-life researchers at the pro-life leadership meeting that I coordinate every, uh, every quarter, and they were talking to us about the attacks on the research and the effort to exclude that research from uh, respectable journals and the effort to, to dissuade people from supporting the research or getting battles started where if a researcher submits an article and does get it published somewhere and it says something bad about abortion where they have these retraction battles where they they pressure the author to retract what they have said because precisely there is a political ideological battle going on you can't escape from the battle you can't escape as this gospel passage is telling us from the cross. Doesn't matter what kind of Christian work you want to do. Doesn't matter what arena of pro life work you do. As neutral as you think it might be, as above the fray as you think it might be, bottom line lesson here is it isn't. It's not above the fray, it's never above the fray. Unless you take up your own cross and come after me. You cannot be my disciple. You think you're going to sit around in a, in a Christian church, in a, in a parish hall, in a parish council meeting, in a pastoral planning meeting, at a synod in Rome, or wherever you might be, and whatever role you're, you have in whatever level of the church, you think you're going to sit around and plan some kind of activity of preaching the gospel, and it's all going to be roses? Oh, let's focus on the positive. You think that's going to be without the cross? Don't for a moment fool yourself, but rather, as Jesus says in this passage, sit down first and calculate the cost. That doesn't mean counting the cost in the sense of, oh, I I want to be careful how much I'm going to sacrifice. I can't sacrifice so much. It's not that kind of counting the cost. It's the counting of cost that says, okay, I'm going into this fully informed and ready to carry my cross, ready to make the sacrifice, ready, as Jesus says here, to even be ready to renounce my own life and my most intimate relationships and all my possessions. My heart has to be, as we said at the outset, fully, totally, completely, uniquely belonging to Jesus, the Lord of life. Let's pray. Father, uh, we uh, come to you in the name of Jesus, praying for, first of all, all those who are listening and watching now, you know our needs, we have stated some of those needs. Answer them, Lord. Show us your constant love in the answering of our prayers. Bless all those who have worked hard for these recent elections and gear them up for 2024 as we have had the elections of 2023. Lord God, let, let us learn lessons from these elections and let us build on the successes. Bless all those who are in leadership in any way, shape, or form. For those who need repentance, give them repentance. Correct them. Turn them away from the path of evil and destruction. For those that are on the path of good, encourage them and strengthen them. Lord, we lift up all our intentions now and we offer the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray to our Heavenly Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All thanks, friends. You know, just like you're never above the fray, you're never above the need for asking for financial help. And I want to do that with you. We're starting to come towards the end of the year. Consider making a nice end of year gift to Priests for Life, ProLifeGift.org on the internet. Or if you want to call us and talk about other ways of giving. 321 500 is our number. We've got an easy number to remember. 321-500-1000. Call us and talk to us about how you can support this ongoing work for life. We're not going to stop doing it, but we need to help a people like you to continue doing it. God bless you, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Hello, this is Father David Begany, one of the many members of Priests for Life. This organization is one of the largest and most visible pro-life ministries in the world. Priest the Priest for Life team relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priest for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give us as generous a gift as you can. Thank you for your kindness, and be assured of our prayers for you every day. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.